Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be upright this morning after a week of junior boys camp. Uh, some people think that it might be a little harder to preach after a week of being at camp. In some ways that's true, because I don't know if I'll be standing up or not. I don't know if my voice will be here or not. But in some ways it's easier because I have a ton of fresh illustrations that can just roll off of my head. I can just go on and on. So if I happen, so if you're taking, keeping score out there, feel free to tally mark every time I use a junior boys camp illustration. I'll try to change the names to protect the innocent, but I'll try to keep them to a minimum if I can, but they're just right there. So uh, I hope uh, I'm thankful for you that you prayed for us. Um, we had a great week, and just once again, thank you for allowing us to be there at the camp to minister to the boys, because what a great opportunity, right? To be all week with campers, to share the gospel with them, help them to understand who Jesus is, understand God's word a little bit more. And it's just a tremendous opportunities, and just uh, not just for us during that week, and just that we have as a church body to minister to little children that they get to hear the gospel maybe for the first time from us as we get to teach them the word. So we're so thankful for all the teachers, Calvary Kids workers, Sunday school teachers who have that opportunity to share Christ uh, with the little ones. We're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 this morning. So you can find your way there. We're going to look at what a true Christian will do. For Christians only. But before we get there, have any of you heard of Marie Kondo? It was very popular. Okay, a few hands, but some shaking of heads, nodding of heads. That's great. Uh, Marie Kondo, she's a best-selling author, has her own Netflix show, and very popular for quite a while. It was very, uh, a huge hit, um, and um, one of those flash-in-the-pan things, maybe. Uh, maybe it's going to last a while. I'm not sh- quite sure. But she tasks those who are watching to get rid of stuff, right? To declutter their house. I don't know if you're a hoarder at all, and maybe a show like this might scare you to try to think of getting rid of things in your house, or maybe you love something like this. But if you've watched the show at all, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's a little bit different than some of the other shows that would talk about organizing your life, where with this show, it was interesting because as I was watching, she said that we need to thank the house for protecting them. I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting that we're going to thank the house, all right? And then she kneeled in the middle of the house, and she got on her knees, closed her eyes, almost as if she was praying to the house to thank the house for that protection. She encouraged them, the people in the house, to do the same thing. She said to talk to your clothes as you fold them, thanking them for bringing you warmth or kindness or whatever that those clothes might be doing. Uh, and I thought that was kind of odd as well. She says that her mission is to spark joy in the world through tidying. I'm not a huge tidier person, so I didn't really find a lot of joy in that myself, but I know some of you out there would probably find a lot of joy in tidying or organizing, that sort of thing. So why would Marie Kondo be such a big hit? Why is she a very popular amongst our culture? Because we're always looking for ways to better organize our lives, right? She hit it right on the head. Every time that somebody posts a new blog on how to organize your office, how to organize your house, how to 
um, set up shelving units or organizational skills of labels and things like that, I'm always interested in that. And I'm not a great organizer. As any of you might know, I'm not the best at organizing. Marcy is awesome at it. I am not. But I'm still interested in it. I still think, oh yeah, that would be a great way to do that. And oftentimes I kind of just leave it there. <laughs> like, that would be great for somebody else, not, maybe not for me. But there is a truth that she has tapped into. We all want to organize our lives. She encourages people to be thankful. I think we can all get on board with that, to be thankful for things. And the stuff that we do have, we should be thankful for that. And not just think that we deserve it or should have it in our lives. But it's a culture that we have that is sought with finding our joy and happiness in stuff. And that's as I watched through the show, it is amazing the things that some of the things that she hit on that I was like, yeah, that's actually right on. That we find we have all these things because we said, this will bring me happiness. This will bring me joy. So I have to have it. Any commercial that you watch on TV, it's always, you don't have this, then that means you have a problem. If you are only to have this, everything will be right in your life. You're, you'll be happier, happier, you'll be more satisfied, you'll be less hungry and satisfied in your belly if you eat these foods, if you have these things. And so she taps into that with these legitimate emotions that we have that are tied to our stuff. But the problem is, the issue with her is that her worldview is as secular and as against God as any other, other worldview that's out there. She believes that the things in the world still can bring you joy. So she says, get rid of the things that don't bring you joy anymore. Keep the things that do bring you joy. It's as almost as if these items are little gods or little idols that bring you joy or they might bring you wrath. And how sad is that? <laughs> is it bad to take her tips on how to fold a t-shirt? No, that's not bad. <laughs> but is it bad to take her tips on thanking your shoes for the joy that they bring you? Yeah, because let's look at Philippians chapter 4 together, verses 4 and 5. And what does it say to rejoice in? It says, rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Our big idea for this morning is that your rejoicing and your gentleness will demonstrate to others your relationship with God. The things that you find yourself rejoicing in, what are those? What are those things? What is that stuff? What is that, what are, who are those people that you're rejoicing in? Why do you rejoice? We'll talk about that in a little bit later. And then gentleness that we're going to refer to in verse 5. These things demonstrate to others. They show out who Jesus is to you. These things are for Christians and only for Christians. And we'll look at why that is in a second. So be constant in your rejoicing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. We're thankful for the, the stuff that you give to us, that we are undeserving of. We're thankful for those things. But we thank you for them. We rejoice in you. Help us this morning to find those idols in our life, those idols in our heart where we're trying to find our joy in and help us to repent of those and turn to finding our joy and satisfaction in you. Help us to be gentle. Help us to love one another with loving kindness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So what do you want out of life? Have you thought about that? What do you think that will make you happy and keep you in a state of rejoicing? Let me ask this. How many of you would rejoice if the Cubs won the World Series this year? Show of hands. Oh, really? There's only four Cubs fans? Okay. I don't think that's right. How many of you would rejoice if the Cardinals won the World Series? Whoa, more hands than Cubs fans. I, I, don't worry, I won't tell Pastor Mike. That seems like you're, once he left, I guess Cardinals are taking over. How many of you would rejoice if the Hawkeyes won the College Football National Championship? Okay, all right. How about the Cyclones? What if the Cyclones won? All right, less hands. Man, come on, Cyclone fans. How many of you would rather and rejoice in taking a vacation to New York City? Maybe some of you are like big cities, not me, but big city. You like? Okay. How many would rather rejoice in going to the Colorado Rockies? Rejoice in a trip like that. Okay, more of you. All right. So we all have reasons why we rejoice. We have different circumstances that come into our lives that we're naturally going to rejoice in. So whenever something good happens to us, right, it's easy for us to rejoice. This isn't something that's going to be very foreign to us as we look at rejoicing in the Lord. Because most of our joy is stemmed from, did it make me feel good or not, right? So let's understand what this word rejoice means. Now, I'll be honest, we don't really have to work too hard at it, because I'm sure there's something happened this week that you rejoiced in. It's a phrase that really, it just means to rejoice, to be glad. And we often find this in scripture, and it's something that we often express in our lives. Whenever something wonderful happens, we rejoice. We are glad that it happened. This rejoicing, as with anything, starts in our hearts of things that we love. When those things that we love happen to us, then we rejoice. Now, some of you might have played cards with somebody who is really terrible at hiding what they have. They pick up that card, or maybe they pick up that domino that they need to win, and they just are like, oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, man, great, they're going to win now. They, they can't hide their rejoicing. You know those people that it just automatically shows outwardly. When you hear this phrase about rejoicing always, do you find that to be a daunting task? It's easy for us to rejoice because lots of things happen in our life that we enjoy, that we like. But to rejoice always, does that seem tough for you? Does that seem like something that you might not be able to do? Does your mind start rolling through things in your life, some difficult situations that you have gone through, and you say, I'm supposed to rejoice in that? I've been through a serious injury. You want me to rejoice in that? I've lost a loved one. You want me to rejoice? I've been terribly ill. I just got fired. My kids won't listen to me on and on. Rejoice in the Lord always? Really? And it's as if Paul knew that they were going to say that, that he repeats himself. Have you ever repeated yourself first uh, over and over again to make sure that they get it? Junior boys reference number one, here we go. Every morning and evening, bring your Bible booklet pen to chapel, right? Yeah, they know it. They know it. How many times do you think we said that? Versus how many times you think it happened. <laughs> bring your Bible booklet pen over and over and over. And in case you didn't hear me, bring your Bible booklet pen. He says rejoice in the Lord always as if he anticipates them thinking, 
Ah, don't you know what's happened to me? Don't you know about this Judea and Syntyche that are arguing and causing a rift in the church? He says, I will say it again. (laughs) Rejoice. We often look at this rejoicing and we often focus on the rejoicing part. We say, okay, I can rejoice. We often focus on the always part, thinking that might be kind of tough. But if we just do that, then it's going to be an impossible task. It's going to be impossible for Paul to ask them, rejoice always because I said so. How many parents out there know that just saying because I said so really changes the hearts of your children? Go clean your room. Why? Because I said so. I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you. Now I really have that desire to go clean my room. It, It doesn't always work, right? We have to appeal to maybe some other things. In Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians, sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, he says rejoice always. He just says it plainly like that. But then it's followed by, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In order to rejoice always, in order to accomplish these things in our lives that he's going to list here. He's going to list on, be gentle. Here in verse 5, do not be anxious. Make your request to God. This must all be done in the Lord. So this is a command that is only for Christians. People who don't know Christ cannot accomplish this. Cannot accomplish in rejoicing in the Lord because they are not in the Lord. And so if somebody is not able to rejoice in the Lord always, what are they going to rejoice in? Their circumstances. When good things happen to them. But in order to be in the Lord, positionally in the Lord, that means that your faith and trust is in Christ alone, his death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation. And as believers in Christ, we have this ability to rejoice in the Lord always. We can do it because we are already in the Lord. Our rejoicing is because we have a Savior who has sacrificed it all in order for us to be found in the Lord. We rejoice not because we were given what we want. We, were, we rejoice because we already have been given everything in Christ. That's why we don't rejoice just in our circumstances, just when good things happen to us. That's why we can rejoice in the hard times because we have been given everything in Christ. What more do we need? If something bad happens to us in this life, Does that take away our Savior? Does that take away our relationship with God? Let's read this out loud together. I want you to read with me, Romans 8, 38 and 39. Let's read this together. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me ask you this. Does this verse include when someone sins against you? Does it include when you sin against someone else? Does this love of, love of God in Christ Jesus that will never be separated from us, remember for those of us who are Christians, Does it include what the devil and his demons might do to you? Does it include any powers of government and what they might do to us? 
What we have in this great love of God in Christ Jesus is more than enough reason to rejoice. No matter what happens up here that might be against us, anything that happens, nothing will separate us from Christ. That's why we can rejoice in the Lord always. Because we will never be without him. He will always be with us. We will always be his. He will always be ours. Talk about stability in our rejoicing. That gives us a reason to rejoice in the Lord always. You can't find that in money. Rejoice in your money always. (laughs) No, that comes and goes. We all know that. Rejoice in your family always. No, they, they can let you down. You know how relationships in the family can even be strained. Rejoice in your friends always. No, they let us down. They don't always fulfill what we, do, what we want from them. Rejoice in your job always. Nope, we know that's not always stable. Rejoice in the Lord always. Yes, because he always fulfills his promises. He will never leave us or forsake us. He loves you with an everlasting love. We can rejoice. When you look at the Old Testament, a lot of times in in rejoicing, you often find the Israelites rejoicing before the Lord. They're rejoicing even though something happened to them. It was in the context of who their God is and what their God worked out in their life. It wasn't just in their stuff or that something happened, good happened to them. Their rejoicing had to be directed to the one who provided it all. If we as Christians are rejoicing in our circumstances alone, just because it happened to us, then we are really, truly worshiping ourselves. Follow the logic of this. When we rejoice when something good happens to me, we rejoice when, or I I complain when something bad happens to me. Who is the God in my life? If I can just complain because something happened that I didn't like, who is in control? Who is ruling? I am. It's all up to me. I'm the one who determines whether something is good or bad, right? But if we are rejoicing in the Lord always, what if something bad happens to me? If I, think, if I know and believe that God is a good God and that he loves me, then I can rejoice in it, even if it's not the thing that I wanted to happen. I hope it's okay. I forgot to ask Vern if I could say this. But just this last week, when Carolyn had a a tough go of it, and um, it was getting close to it was getting close to maybe um, seeing if she'd make it through the end of the week. And I called Vern, and we talked, and it was amazing that the first things that he shared were his thankfulness to God for the time that he had with Carolyn, and taught, just rejoiced in so many other things that happened in his family's life. And just, I mean, I was blown away. I, I was amazed. The faithfulness of a man of our church going through a difficult circumstances, knowing that this is what the passage I was going to be preaching on this morning, I was thinking, wow, this is going to be tough to preach. But yet, somebody going through a tough time, rejoicing in the Lord, thankful. And then, once Carolyn started recovering and doing better miraculously, visiting with Vern again, guess what? He was still rejoicing in the Lord. It didn't matter what the circumstances were. Rejoicing in the Lord, thankful to God what he was working out in his life, in Carolyn's life, and uh, we rejoice along with you. Uh, We're thankful for what God is doing. We also find Paul here rejoicing in the Lord. 
Colossians 1.24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Even when things aren't going Paul's way, he's suffering. It's not just for suffering's sake that he's rejoicing. He's not saying, yes, this is awesome that I'm having a difficult life right now. He rejoices because his sufferings are building up the body of Christ and helping him to understand what Christ went through with his afflictions. He was suffering in the Lord, and so he was able to see how God was at work, and so he was able to rejoice in the Lord. 1 Peter 1.6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Rejoicing in hardships does not always mean that there has to be a smile on your face, that you're bouncing up and down because something terrible is going on in your life. It's okay to be sorrowful in our trials. I thought Sam Hornbrook, uh, it was a month or so ago, he made an excellent point when he shared this verse with us, that he said that we can grieve our circumstances. That's, that's good to do, to grieve those circumstances, but still rejoicing in the Lord. It's okay to be saddened and hurt that something bad is going on, that maybe, maybe somebody sinned against you, maybe there's an illness or, or something um, that's very difficult. It's okay to grieve those circumstances, but we still must rejoice in the Lord because what God is doing. And we rejoice in the Lord because he is still our God. All throughout this letter of Philippians, we find Paul rejoicing. Even when talking about his imprisonment, he's rejoicing. He said, yes, he still rejoiced in that what has happened to him has served to, the, to advance the gospel in verse 12. In verse 18 of chapter 1, he said even when people were preaching Christ out of wrong motives, he was still rejoiced because Christ is still being preached. Chapter 3, verse 1, he tells them to rejoice in the Lord as he's going to warn them to watch out for those who are preaching a false gospel. And he rejoiced in the Lord here in chapter 4, verse 10, because they are concerned. They showed the love of Christ as they were concerned for him. He didn't find these tough circumstances for a way to feel sorry for himself. He didn't see the trials in his life and the hardships that he was going through as an excuse to complain. He looked at all of the situations around him. He looked at them from God's perspective. God is good. God loves him. So God must have Paul in these hard situations for a reason, for him to rejoice in the Lord. Christians can always find a reason to rejoice. Even in the darkest of times, you can find a re reason to rejoice. When coworkers or a boss is maybe making your job difficult, you can rejoice that God has allowed you to be employed, that you have money to serve your family and others. When family relationships are a struggle, Christian can rejoice in being a part of the family of God and being thankful for the family that God has given you. A Christian can always find a reason to rejoice when they are rejoicing in the Lord because of who their Lord is. Because God is always good. You have a Savior who will never leave you or forsake you. You can rejoice no matter what this week is going to bring into your life. At the end of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was talking with them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then he said at the very end, he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, rejoice and be glad. 
for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice that people are lying about you, harming you, not just verbally, but even physically. They are after you. He says, rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. There's an eternal, godly perspective that has to happen if we're going to rejoice in the Lord always. Just, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, a guy named David Pallison, um, he was a, a leading author, uh, leading in the biblical counseling movement. We have a lot of his pamphlets out there, just a great resource. He passed away a few, uh, few weeks ago, uh, or a couple weeks ago, as he was diagnosed with cancer a few months ago. And he wrote something to the graduating class that he was asked to speak at. And he said this, he says, Weakness is a most unusual door into all the ways God enables us to be strong. I'll say that again. Weakness is a most unusual door into all the ways God enables us to be strong. Just because something hard comes into our lives doesn't mean it's bad. Doesn't mean it's evil. Maybe it's just a way for God to enable us to be strong in him. To find a way to rejoice even amidst suffering. Does this rejoicing look like your kind of rejoicing that you typically do? What do you typically find yourself rejoicing in? When you look at the circumstances around you, is it just based on whether something good or bad happened? Or are you rejoicing in the Lord? Here's a small list of a few ways, unlikely circumstances, in which we need to be rejoicing in, as Scripture shares with us. First, we need to rejoice when you're hurting. That's an unlikely circumstance. Romans 5.3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance and it goes on. We need to rejoice when good things happen to others. This can sometimes be tough for us. It says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Sometimes we have a tendency to think, I wish that good thing happened to me. (laughs) We might be jealous it happened to somebody else. I wish it happened to me. But we need to rejoice with those who rejoice. We need to rejoice in the truth. 1 Corinthians 13.6 says that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Sometimes it's more fun to be able to gossip about somebody when we stretch the truth a little bit. They always do this. And we're talking about this in our uh, uh, Four Rules of Communication, this ABF and next week as well. When they always do this, are we telling the truth? Do we rejoice in the truth? Or do we want to hear the latest gossip about what's going on? We don't care whether it's true or not. And fourth... Rejoice when your faith is tested, as we read this verse a little earlier. Even when God brings something difficult into your life, as a believer in Christ, say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to learn from this? These are just four ways, and there's many more, but these are just unlikely ways that we need to focus on maybe in our rejoicing. It's tough to do it. Again, that's why he repeats it. He says, yes, like I said, rejoice. We also need to have a reputation of gentleness in verse 5. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now this word reasonableness can be translated as gentle or even gracious. It's a word that they uses to speak of a pastor, the character of a pastor in 1 Timothy 3. They must be gentle. 
As we look at what this word means, I think the word gentle is best used, and so that's what we're going to go with as I use that word uh, throughout the rest of this morning. But I want you to think of some of these other words as we're looking at this reasonableness, at this gentleness. In Greek, also, its meaning is, is considerate. It's also used as patient or moderation. And so as we think about gentle, we need to think about all those words surrounding it. And I really like this verse, too, that really helps us to understand. It gives a, a good picture of what a gentle person would be. It says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I think this gives us a good full picture of what it is, because a lot of these things speak to the gentleness. Not quarrelsome, but kind. Somebody's not looking to be fight, looking for an argument. He's a kind person to everyone. Somebody who patiently endures evil. Bad things are happening all around him, and they're waiting on God's timing and being patient through all of it. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. If you're gentle, it doesn't mean you're just a pushover. You're correcting others even in their sin, even if they need to be corrected, you're doing it, but you're doing it with kindness and with gentleness. So that's the word that we're going to be using uh, this morning. So think about all those things as we talk about gentleness and making sure that's known to all. So who do you think of? When you think of somebody who is gentle, do you have somebody in mind? When I think of somebody who is gentle, just broadly, I usually think of a new mother with her baby that was just born, the utmost care that, has, that goes into holding that child. And that's why whenever I'm up here holding that newborn baby, like I often lose my train of thought because I'm like, okay, be careful, we're careful, we're careful of the head, we're doing all this, and I look up like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to say something. <laughs> like I'm trying to be so gentle and careful with that child because of their just being fragile and a newborn baby. We think of those who handling, dealing with children as gentle people. Now, some of you might think of um, some individuals, maybe some men who are not gentle. Generally, in our society, we try to put men into a box of saying they just need to be rough and rugged and just tough men, that they can't handle things that are gentle. But we also know that when those rough and tough men, when they get around their baby girl or their granddaughter, or grandchild. We know how gentle they really are, don't we? But in our culture, they, maybe gentleness is seen as a form of weakness, right? If someone acts harshly to you, you have to act harshly back. If somebody is yelling at you, then if you don't match that intensity, yell back. If you don't fight back, if you don't go at them, then you might be seen as a pushover or weak. But we're not asking how our culture views gentleness. We're asking what God says about it. So not only our demeanor and our character must be gentle, but it says we must display it to others. It says that it must be known to everyone, not just those who are in your immediate family, not just those even inside this church, but to everyone, even the outside world, we are to show off our gentleness. 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul is talking, and he's saying, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Our Savior was gentle. Paul calls upon the gentleness of Jesus as he's going to be sharing truth with the Corinthians. In Matthew 11.29, here's what Jesus says of himself. If we're trying to be more like Christ, 
as believers in Jesus, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, I am gentle. 1 Peter 2.23, even in the most trying time of Jesus' life, when people were after him, when he was reviled, what did he do? He showed off his gentleness. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, what did he do? Unjustly, right? He did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one, to him who judges justly. Even when everybody was after Jesus, hurting him, beating him, mocking him, what did he do? He called upon this gentleness of his character. He didn't revile back. This shows us that in Christ, even if people are harsh to us, we can respond with gentleness. We must respond with gentleness. If there's an opportunity for reconciliation, we can do that with gentleness. We don't have to come back yelling or angry at someone. After all, gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5. Along with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, there's gentleness. And so that means every believer in Christ has the ability to be gentle. You can't just say, well, that's just not me. That's ruled out for the believer. You can't just say, I'm just, I'm just not a gentle person. That's basically you saying, I'm just not like Jesus. I'm not one of Christ. It's just like saying, I'm, I just don't love people. That's just who I am. I'm just not kind. These are fruits of the Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, then you have the ability to be gentle with others. And a lack of displaying this fruit is just like a lack of displaying any other fruit of the Spirit. So when you are displaying this gentleness, it's showing to others that you are gentle, but it's also showing to others that you are Christ. It's to be known to all. It's just like, as we saw here in verses 2 and 3, entreating Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord, mentioning this because it's showing to the outside world, if these people are arguing and all that, it's just like you and me in the outside world. And so if these are, people are agreeing in the Lord, these two, that shows off the glory of God. It shows off that they believe in the gospel. When you rejoice in the Lord always and people outside see that, you're showing off the gospel, that you're different than everyone else. When you are gentle in your responses in those harsh times when people are mad at you or coming at you, when you are gentle and display that and show that to others, it's also showing that you are Christ, that you are different. Something different about you, about us, and is different than the outside world. When we have unity together, we show that we are Christ. When we rejoice, we show that we are Christ. We want to be those types of people, right? That you want to show off that you're Christ with your lifestyle, the things that you do, what you rejoice in, how you are gentle with others, the unity that you have with one another. We want to show that to others because we want people to see how great our God is. And these two commands are coming right in front of when it says at the very end of verse 5, it says there, the Lord is at hand. That's why we do it, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord has worked in our lives. He is at hand. Now, this can mean one of two things. It's either talking about the temporal or the spatial view of this term, the Lord is at hand, meaning Basically, first, the temporal view, meaning that the Lord is at hand, that he will return soon, that Jesus is coming back. 
Revelation 22.20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so as we are believers in Jesus Christ, understanding that Jesus is returning soon, we are going to rejoice in the Lord always. We are going to be gentle and let that be known to everyone that we are gentle because Jesus is coming soon. It's almost like this idea of what do you want Jesus to catch you doing when he returns? All of us probably want Jesus to return when we're here at church, right? Because we know, like, we're doing the right thing. We're in church. We're listening to a sermon from God's word. It's like, I know I'm doing the right thing. Yes. But sometimes during the week, we might have that thought of, I sure hope Jesus doesn't come back now. (laughs) I don't want him to catch me what I'm doing. It's this mentality of, what do we want Jesus to catch us doing? We'll get to that he sees us anyways. (laughs) But that reaction that we have, we know when we do something wrong and somebody catches us, We know we feel that guilt, that weight of what we've just done. But because he's returning soon, because he's quickly coming to bring us to him, don't we want to show off in our life? Do we want our lifestyle, our rejoicing, our unity, our reasonableness, don't we want that to show off to people so they can say, why are you so different? And then we can share the gospel with them. We can tell them the truth of God's word about he sent Christ to earth to pay the penalty for our sins. Rising from the dead, he paid for them, and our faith in him, faith is mine, he's mine by faith, and we receive his righteousness. Don't we want people to know that truth before Jesus returns? If we do, then he says, do these things for the Lord is at hand. He is coming soon. The second interpretation of this, the spatial interpretation, is that Jesus is close to you right now. Clearly, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Again, this is why this is only for Christians to do. This isn't something that unbelievers, he is asking them to do. No, only those of you who are in Christ, because Christ is living in you. The Lord is at hand right now. In Romans 8, 10, starts out, but if Christ is in you. It helps the Philippians picture that it's not just that Jesus is far away and he is coming soon. It's that Jesus is currently living in you, Christian. Every believer, he is in you. He sees what you see. He knows what you do. He goes where you go. He is living in you. And not just that he is a monitoring you and the things that you're doing, as if he's going to tell on you at some sort, a way to God. It's like, oh, he did this. It's not that. It's that he's living in you and he gives you the ability to rejoice in the Lord always. He gives you the ability to now have unity with one another. He gives you this ability to be gentle because of the strength that God supplies because Christ is living in you. That's why we are able to do these things. Because of Christ. So I believe that it's actually taking both views in this case. That is because Jesus is both coming soon and he lives in you, we need to be rejoicing always in the Lord. We need to be showing our reasonableness to everyone. We need to have unity and agree in the Lord because he is both coming and he is presently with us now. This is why these are commands. 
So I say, you must do this because the Lord is at hand. Our big idea. As we were talking through this uh, with Pastor Kyle and Brandon, and we were talking through this and like, you know what, some of these big ideas really help us in a big passage to kind of boil it down and say, okay, that's what it's about. In one sentence, that's what it's about. This is not one of those passages. This one's kind of like an obvious. If you can read the verses, you can understand what the big idea is. This isn't shocking to us. But your rejoicing and your gentleness, it's going to demonstrate to others your relationship with God. It's going to show off that you are Christ. This is why this is only for believers. Make it a point in your life to emphasize this joy of in the Lord. Not in your stuff, not in your circumstances. And if I can do this, I'm going to be praying. I know this might sound mean. I'm going to be praying that God brings a difficult situation into all of our lives this week. That's what I'm going to pray for this week. The reason, not because I want bad things to happen to you, but the reason is so that we can remind ourselves of this verse, that we can see how God works in our lives, and to come out on the other end rejoicing in the Lord. If you can get to the end of the week and say, man, this happened to me, that was really tough, but I was still rejoicing in the Lord. Wouldn't that encourage you to know that you're not just rejoicing when good things happen to you, to have a week where everything perfect happens in your life and like, I think I rejoice in the Lord. It might just because everything went my way and you might have that, I don't know how I was doing it, but if something bad happens to you and you find yourself praising God, rejoicing, asking, turning to the Lord, say, what do you have for me? What do you want me to learn? Then you'll be able to see in your own life how God is at work, how the Lord is at hand. And so I'm praying that you and I both go through something difficult this week so we can rejoice in the Lord and that it might be more evident in our lives. I also want to encourage you to look for opportunities to be gentle. You might have that coworker that it's, they always get at you, right? Like that junior boy camper, reference number two. That junior boy camper who just gets under your skin a little bit. Are you going to be gentle with them in your response? Man, and as you walk away from that and you say, man, I was kind. You praise the Lord. What an opportunity to rejoice in him that you see God at work in your life. And so I want to encourage you this week to start really thinking, okay, how am I going to rejoice in the Lord? How am I going to let my gentleness, my reasonableness be known to all and see how God's word is displaying itself in your lives? And we praise him for that. So let's just take this as a very practical, very applicational passage here. Let's go out and do it. Let's go out and live for the Lord because we can do it. For you in Christ, you can do this. Because Christ is in you. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that something difficult will come our way this week. We pray that you will, as it comes our way, as something difficult might happen to us, we don't know what you've planned for the week, but if it, as it comes, we pray that you'll remind us of these verses, that you'll remind us of truth, remind us that we are yours, remind us that we have the ability to rejoice and be gentle, because of who we are in Christ. Remind us of that this week. Help us to apply this. And as we gather together next Sunday, may we share with one another and rejoice together about how you have worked in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.